Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And good morning to all of you here in North America and good afternoon uh, to all of you watching from Europe and elsewhere and whatever time it may be in whatever jurisdiction is usually the word I use for that, but it fe feels a little formal uh, for talking about where you actually live in real life. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got a, a big episode today. I think this article is very, very interesting. Uh, a few episodes ago, I think I mentioned the fact that I didn't plan uh, to do headlines too often on articles that are about us, about streaming coverage of trials or otherwise participating in YouTube. Uh, but unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on your perspective, I just don't have any shortage of those articles that people are sending me or that, obviously, folks are writing. And today was one uh, that actually was, I thought, a little bit attacking. Uh, and we're going to do our best to do some reasonable minds can differ uh, and be as neutral as possible on this evaluation of the article we're going to talk about today. But because I like to get my biases and tilt out there, of course, as you know, when we're talking about uh, myself, uh, virtual legality, uh, or uh, Alita, Legal Bites, or others, I am obviously self-interested in what that coverage looks like and how it's treated. And so we'll be analyzing the argument just like we would anything else, but maybe with a touch more bite uh, than I usually present uh, in these episodes. Other than that, welcome to the party, everyone. Sorry I missed yesterday. One thing that I'm doing behind the scenes is trying to figure out exactly what kind of schedule makes sense for me and for the law firm and for the other virtual legality videos that I do. I haven't run two shows at once before. Uh, and so evaluating what works and what doesn't work is going to be a little bit of an experiment. So if you bear with me for maybe about a month as I figure out exactly uh, what I can sustain without burning out, because I don't think either uh, you or me want to just burn out and flame out and just never do this ever again, figuring out what works in that timeline. So maybe it'll be Wednesdays that are off and we do a pair of episodes on Monday and Tuesday and a pair on Thursday and Friday uh, for headlines. And that's what works. But I really don't know. Uh, so I want to make sure that I continue to do the content that I've done for four years almost now in growing the channel. I want to do this new thing uh, that I enjoy a lot. and I think a lot of you do as well. But I want to make sure that that's a sustainable enterprise that we can actually do on a regular basis. So if you bear with me, I'm going to be figuring that out, whether it's five days, four days, three days a week. Uh, we'll work through it, and I will make sure that I can sustain whatever it is that we finally come to. I also wanted to give... An update, many folks have asked for headlines-only versions uh, of these episodes. I am working with an editor to start putting that playlist together, also trying to build a logo and things like that uh, for this new enterprise. It came together so fast, we're kind of doing it in reverse. Uh, so just like with figuring out the schedule, if you'll allow us to uh, figure out that playlist, the mechanisms, the logos, all the shiny stuff uh, behind the scenes, uh, and, and just uh, bear with me during that period. I would really appreciate it. But we are working on those kinds of things as well as some other stuff in the pipeline that I might otherwise mention uh, as we go through a little bit. Outside of that, how is everybody doing this morning? Uh, I always like to hear where you are from before we get started with the articles. Everybody feeling good on this Thursday morning here in uh, the United States? East time zone here is uh, 7 a.m. as it always is. Uh, for this, and is everybody ready to call me a grifter or maybe the heir apparent to the tabloid legacy of the worldwide news? Lots of fun stuff uh, to pick up on today 
Uh, we've got uh, hi from Sweden to Hogan chat. That's always fun. Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, another Sweden. We're big in Sweden this morning. Switzerland, just in general, the Nordic countries we're very we're very big on. Uh, Australia, pretty much the opposite of Sweden and Switzerland in terms of uh, global positioning from me. Central Pennsylvania, Finland. We really are. We really are hitting that uh, area of the world pretty well. Uh, good morning from Alaska. Hi from Texas. Sunglasses emoji. Uh, lots of good stuff, everybody. There's Germany. We knew we had some Germans in the chat. Germany never skips the headlines and hangouts, I don't think. Uh, hey from Columbus, Ohio. Hey, friend. Uh, Maryland, Vermont, Thailand, Quebec. Awesome stuff, everybody. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. I think we're going to have a fun episode today. Uh, so let's see what else is happening here. I know I missed one of these. Wendy's Cafe. Good morning, Hogue. And chat, smiley face emoji. Hogue, have you played Icarus yet? As a, Is that a video game? I haven't played a video game called Icarus yet. Um, so if it is a video game, that's a surprise to me. I will look that up after the show and see what it is. Uh, but I have not played it. Uh, no, the most recent game I've been playing is an independent game called Card Shark, uh, in which I believe you're trying to foment the French Revolution by cheating at cards throughout uh, 18th century France. So yes, uh, that sounds weird. It's also very, very cool and has amazing art. Uh, and uh, I've really been enjoying that. That's what I've been playing most recently, but I haven't played anything called Icarus yet. Thank you so much for the chat. Uh, what else we got here? Germany, UK, Maryland, Texas, uh, New Zealand, Norway. Greetings from Michigan, from the thumb. That's right. If you make the, the shape of Michigan with your hand, you should call it the mitten approach back in elementary school. Uh, let's see. Icarus is on Steam. Kid Icarus is an old Nintendo game that is fun. That it is. I know Kid Icarus. Uh, I'll check that out. I will check that out. All right. So let's get started going over this interesting article. I've got a lot of connection points here and a lot of things I want to talk about. So let's just do it at the top end here, and then we can get to chats or super chats or anything after the fact, um, because it's very, very interesting. So a couple of things here. One, the article we're going to look at today is from something called The Racket. And I wasn't familiar with this. It appears to be primarily a newsletter, substack, independent journalism kind of thing. Obviously, as someone that goes online and regularly talks into a camera and otherwise sets the agenda for what we're going to talk about myself, I have absolutely no problem uh, with that approach to journalism or anything else that you might want to create and put out there. But it also got picked up by some major sources. This is Ben Collins, this is NBC News, who says what we're going to look at today is a great story about how old media, what I usually call legacy media in this space, was badly duped, badly, badly duped, bad. I mean, you want to emphasize that, definitely. It's a tweet, it's fine. By several people on YouTube trying to make money. It's an article whose premise, according to Ben Collins, the NBC News, big blue check mark, and everything else here, He's putting out to his followers that this story is about how the legacy media was badly duped by people on YouTube trying to make money. What we will otherwise see referred to as grifting or grifters. And, and we're going to talk about what that means. And of course, before we do, we'll all note the irony 
that your Ben Collins is of the world. The author here is, of course, trying to keep their own lights on and trying to feed their own families through the creation and dissemination of content uh, under a different label, of course, under the label of NBC News or The Racket or whatever else they might find themselves on. We're going to talk about The Washington Post a bit, as everybody else is also doing this week. Uh, but that is, in essence, the creation of things for people to read or watch or listen to and isn't really so different from what we do here, but they seem very keen on making sure that we know that it is, in fact, very different, and that everybody else, especially the people appearing in Taylor Lorenz's story from this past weekend, are effectively bad actors that shouldn't be listened to because they are, quote-unquote, badly duping the old media just to make money. Instead of recognizing it and writing about the ecosystem that duped them, they are doubling down on a pylon because they are embarrassed. Uh, so the premise here being that the Washington Post, and we'll see this all writ large in the article, is embarrassed by what it's done, which may or may not be true, but that it's falling for the traps, tricks, and confidence schemes of me uh, and Alita and other folks in this space. Uh, and that just, well, that just tickles my fancy to talk about with you all today. Uh, but I wanted to point out that we're not usually just going to be pulling random substacks to discuss with you because I don't think that it's it, that it's the point of Hangouts and Headlines is to just pull what any individual might otherwise say out of the ether. Um, but this has been picked up. This is a person that has clearly connections with various things. We'll be looking at the About page uh, as we go on as well because this is a person that's also hawking a book at the same time, and that's an interesting uh, kind of sidelight to what he otherwise accuses, especially Alita at Legal Bites of. Uh, but overall, we're not just going to be pulling random stories because that that doesn't make sense for this space. If they do hit this kind of zeitgeist level, and I guess if they just directly attack us, uh, we might otherwise cover it, which perhaps is providing the wrong incentives for these folks to write these articles. But, you know, I'm only human. So let's take a look. The Racket. Just take the W, grifters. Everyone loves content, I hear. Well, here's some. So let's start out just talking about argument and rhetoric as we do here in the space. This headline is needlessly combative, right? Uh, and we know that just take the W is actually a reference, obviously, to just normal conversation on the internet about taking the L or taking the W or what have you. But we know that Alita had responded to the Washington Post's, I think, third or fourth attempt at correction, which is still erroneous, which this article does admit, but doesn't give any kind of power or weight to, that they should just take the L to stop trying to worm their way around these inaccuracies, these falsities, and just take the loss. And Alita did type that out. I think you've got me on stream on video saying that that sounds like her uh, when she tweeted that out. So this is a, effectively a response to that language well, just take the win, grifters. Now, grift is its, in itself an interesting kind of concept, right? Grift has the notion of being done illicitly. I was just talking about a video game I was playing about stealing money by cheating at cards. That's a grift. That's a con game, a confidence scheme. As Merriam-Webster's website puts it, it is to obtain something, money or property, illicitly, with the parenthetical as in a confidence game. So if you want to call someone a grifter, you are essentially implying that whatever it is that they purport to be supplying, in this case, as media content creators, it is in some way illicit. It is in some way wrong. It is a con game. 
You think that you are providing something. You think you are paying for something that is provided and that thing has not been provided to you. It is a hollow shell of the media of import that only the racket and the Washington Post can provide. And this comes from the headline. Starts out, right? Let's use an ad hominem attack on what I'm going to otherwise be describing to you because they should not be listened to. They are merely grifters. Now, some of you might point out, hey, don't you guys talk about grifting sometimes in your videos? And yes, we do, ironically, uh, as we ask for likes or subs and very many other things that people online you can find all over say that they really dislike that Hogue does on Legal Bites or elsewise. But in all honesty, that is part of supporting the channel and the content uh, that we are otherwise creating. Uh, and is that grifting? We joke about it because it sounds like going out there with a hat in hand and panhandling for your money, or, or in this case, your likes and subscribes. And to some extent it is, but it's not illicit. It's not asking for something and delivering something else. It's not fraudulent. It's not a con game. It is ironically calling out what we have to do in, in terms of doing those kinds of tote bag support things that you see on PBS. Is PBS grifting? Uh, when they ask for donations, maybe, but probably not. We probably wouldn't describe a telethon as a grift. We probably wouldn't decide describe, oh, I don't know, a charity stream, which you might be able to find on Legal Bites this Saturday, as a grift. You would instead describe it as asking for support. Asking for support on things like, oh, I don't know, a substack that asks for subscription revenue, that asks for people to pay for having this content created, right? But if you value your content, it is, of course, not a grift. And if you don't value someone else's content, well, they're just grifting. They're panhandlers. They're the heirs to a tabloid legacy. Don't worry. We'll get there. We're only in the headline. There was plenty of things to argue about after Johnny Depp won his mutual defamation case against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. What does the verdict mean for future domestic abuse allegations? Is it a blow to the First Amendment or isn't it? But one take seems indisputable. The biggest winners were the TikTokers, YouTubers, and Instagrammers who surged to fame thanks to their coverage of the case. The Washington Post put it succinctly in its June 2nd headline, Who Won the Depp Heard Trial? Content Creators That Went All In. A day later... New York Magazine said the same thing in reverse about a, and I don't even know how to pronounce this, so I apologize, a choir sicha joint. The mainstream media lost the Depp Heard trial and the lifestyle influencers turned court correspondence won. Personally, if multiple national publications were running headlines like Who Won X, Jonathan M. Katz, that's the author of this piece, I'd be pretty psyched. But that is not how this emerging media class reacted. Instead, it and the right-wing media outlets who help promote it have spent the last few days melting down. So we have a couple of things to unpack from these first few paragraphs. And one, I don't think that there's any dispute that folks that were covering this case separately from the legacy media had very, very successful campaigns, whether that's in subscribers or chat money or TikTok views or whatever else it might be in talking about this case. Now, I personally think there's a fairly interesting story to unpack there about why there was such an appetite for alternative sources of information, why 
we were able to succeed where maybe some more legacy media outlets were not. And certainly the Washington Post answers that uh, by suggesting that the legacy media was otherwise invested in more important things. But I tend to think that that's not entirely the case. I tend to think that what you're looking at here is a situation where uh, appetite has been filled that has been long neglected uh, by the legacy media and certainly by a media that tends to filter through whatever lens that it's otherwise looking at and deliver to you news that has already been through their filters of perception. Now, that always happens. But what's going on with respect to what we saw in Johnny Depp v. Amber Heard is allowing you to look at the source material yourself and maybe get analysis of what an objection means or how the sidebar works or other things related to that, especially on a channel like Legal Bites, but allowing you to make the judgment, right? At the end of the day, what is Hangouts and Headlines, right? We read through stories. We talk about how they're contouring what they're telling you. And at the end of the day, what I always try to say is don't just believe me. Right? You don't need to listen to Rick Hogue as sacrosanct in some fashion and otherwise delivering to you the truth from on high. That's not what this is about. This is about seeing how I read through an article, talking about critical analysis, and hopefully helping folks be able to read these articles in their own ways and perhaps come to a completely different conclusion than me, but being able to parse out what the actual writing and argument is doing. Critical analysis doesn't require us to always agree on the conclusion to that process, but it does help us understand what people are saying about the news topics of the day, right? And I think at its best, that's what sources like this, virtual legality and legal bites uh, can be, but you get no kind of thought process there. Instead, what you get is in this third paragraph, what we have seen so many times before, especially in this last week, which is... Let's throw in a reference to the right-wing media to tar and feather what we're about to talk about with respect to sources. And we knew this was coming, right? We knew this as we were covering the case, that this is one of the go-to moves of people that don't otherwise like to engage with you on your ideas, to tar you with guilt by association. And I, I think very strongly that virtual legality is not remotely close to a right-wing kind of YouTube channel, but certainly those channels are out there, and certainly those kinds of channels were covering Depth v. Heard as well as us, or Legal Bites, etc. So we can at least grant the premise that there are other actors that are perhaps more extreme in their political affiliations that were covering this, but by doing it in this way, what these first three paragraphs do is say, well, We've got the Washington Post and New York Magazine talking about the fact that they're winners. And I would be pretty psyched about that. That's a pretty positive headline without actually even going in to what these things actually say, which you better believe we're going to do in this space. And then tarring and feathering that kind of concept with, well, this new media and the right wing media outlets who help promote it have spent the last few days melting down, which, of course, is a colloquial term, but I wouldn't describe Legal Bites is melting down. I can't speak to that umbrella guy who's otherwise involved in this story uh, as well. Honestly, I've never actually been to that person's channel other than to see the thumbnails. And it doesn't appear to be my cup of tea, uh, if you will. So I don't necessarily go to that channel, but I also don't necessarily agree with just tarring and feathering everybody with, well, Fox News picked up the story. Yes. Okay. Does that mean that I'm not to be believed because the Washington Post, the New York Magazine went a different direction? I don't think that's quite the right way to argue your point as well, but we'll see that it gets significantly worse from there. 
The shitstorm focused mainly on the Post's piece bylined by Taylor Lorenz. Lorenz is a columnist covering online culture. She was poached by Bezos, Inc., reference to Washington Post, from the New York Times earlier this year. Because her beat involves critical reporting on the extremely online and has investigated a number of prominent right-wing accounts, she has become a lightning rod for attacks on social media. It was unlikely that any piece by that particular reporter about a story that has commanded the attention of legions of depth stands, men's rights activists, and true crime devotees would be warmly received. Okay, so now we're assuming our premise, right? So Taylor Lorenz is out there writing an article. I didn't know who this person was when I start talking about it, which I think is an important point because I'm going to appear in this article. Uh, but I don't know who Taylor Lorenz is. And what this assumes is that anybody that is critical of either the content of that article or the mistake that was made within it, which is really pretty much undisputed and is admitted to as part of this writing here in the racket, is a right-wing media operative, right? If you disagree, it's because Taylor Lorenz represents things against the right wing, uh, investigating a number of prominent right-wing accounts. And so because of that, and because people that are covering the story are legions of depth stands, men's rights activists, and then true crime devotees, uh, is going to lead to the conclusion that this was always going to happen, right? Didn't matter what she wrote. Didn't matter what she wrote because people hate her as an identity. Didn't know her. Swear I didn't know her. I got a lot of DMs about her past month of articles, I guess, or, or coverage in these various places. And I'm fully willing to grant that Fox News and National Review and some other places that I saw jumped on this story very, very quickly. So as a conceit here, I will say that, yes, it appears that this is accurate, that Taylor Lorenz is a figure of some disrepute uh, in right-wing media or, or right-leaning media, however you want to describe these various things. But that in and of itself doesn't take away from legitimate criticism. This is the same brush that is designed to tar the legal bites of the world as we go through this article, right? Well, Fox News picked it up, so we know it's wrong. Fox News picked it up. And that's because of Taylor Lorenz. That's fine if it's because of Taylor Lorenz. That doesn't actually excuse either the argument or the way that this article was written. But that doesn't matter to this individual writing this story. Because the drama really kicked up when two social media pundits who'd received passing mentions in Lorenz's article noticed a legitimate error. Okay, so this, I would argue, is an accurate description of Legal Bites and that umbrella guy's presence in this particular article. You can go check out what we were saying about this article as we went through. But it's important to note uh, that they weren't a focus of the article. In fact, nobody really was a focus of the article. It was a thesis without great evidence backing it. That's why we analyzed it here in Hangouts and Headlines. But they just have a kind of cursory reference that's designed to make it seem like, well, they make a ton of money, so clearly that's their motivation, and that they pivot to covering this story because all the money that's out there. It's kind of trying to establish that the incentives at YouTube or elsewise are changing the way people report on things in a fashion that is unethical. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. But this is a legitimate description of the fact that they aren't the centerpiece of the story. However, in the context of this article, right, that's already trying to tar every kind of criticism of all of this with a right-wing media brush, as if it were the Marilyn Manson boogeyman from Depp v. Heard itself, that when you say, hey, these are nobodies 
at the top of your next paragraph, you're trying to establish in the reader's mind that these aren't folks that should be listened to. And that'll be hit upon hint upon hint as we continue through this. The Post claimed in a parenthetical statement that both, quote unquote, did not respond to requests for comment. Indeed, they did. But no one from the Post, it seems, had reached out to either. It's a pretty big deal, right? It's a, it's a national newspaper of record that goes out with a fact that is wrong. And it's a fact within their control. This isn't something that needed to be researched. Did you call these people? Did you reach out to these people? No, that sentence doesn't belong there. This is entirely within your purview. And this author admits it's a legitimate error, but is now going to spend the next couple of paragraphs trying to explain to you why it's no big deal, which in the broad strokes, long-term kind of concept is true. It's not the biggest deal in the world, but it is when it's a part of a story about the enhanced ethical standards of the legacy media over content creators and when they continue to get it wrong time after time after time. Making things worse, sometime after the YouTubers tweeted about it, the erroneous sentence was deleted without a note explaining what had happened. Yep, we found that live. A Fox News media reporter got on the case the next day Apparently, after he called, the post amended a formal correction. So here's the parenthetical. And then here is the correction. Now, you'll note that even though this author wants to give full credit here, the correction changes from Majeka, that's Alita, and that umbrella guy did not respond to requests for comment to she declined to comment for this story and that umbrella guy could not be reached for comment, both of which continue to remain inaccurate, right? You've got, as linked to in this story, you've got Joseph Wilson of Fox News saying, after being reached out to by Fox News, Washington Post issued a correction. This is at 3 p.m. on June 3rd. This is, it's worth noting, hours after Alita and I covered it in this space. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the course of action here, it's a little bit unclear. But also noting, as we have before uh, from Cindy Shaw on Twitter, that the correction, the story has been amended to note the Post attempts to reach Alita Majeka as she declined to comment for this story, which is read as pre-publication uh, in any normal reading of how a story gets made and put out there, is still wrong. The story isn't just because they put in this sentence. If they eliminated it, if they just deleted this sentence and said in their corrections note, hey, that was wrong. We regret the error. None of this goes as far as it does. The Washington Post flailing about with this correction is what made it more and more and more of a story. And this author really doesn't talk about that at all. This was both an embarrassing mistake and an embarrassing way to handle it. It was also, and I can already sense a screenshot cursor hovering over this paragraph, hey author, not a particularly big deal. Now it's interesting to put that in that sentence because I tend to agree with you. As I just said, the fact that this was said as an erroneous statement that's a, a big deal insofar as you shouldn't just be going out there with facts that aren't true. Deleting it, putting in a correction that says, hey, that was wrong, sorry about that, wouldn't have been a big deal either, honestly. The fact that they did it in a stealth edit, then had to get called on it, get it wrong, get called on it again, get it wrong again, that's part of the story. Because the premise, again, is that they're better at this than you or I. Now, he continues, why is it not a particularly big deal? From a purely journalistic standpoint, the need to get comments from either of the aggrieved vloggers was debatable. They were relatively minor figures in the story, mentioned once each and only in relation to the amount of money each had reportedly made through their avowedly pro-debt coverage. 
By contrast, Lorenz interviewed and quoted three content creators with much bigger audiences than either of them for the piece. Okay, all right, journalistic person here. We've got a number of things here, but we have to point out that you use the term vlogger, uh, right? And I think in a broad strokes kind of way that they are vloggers in the kind of setting that they do live streams on YouTube. Of course, vlogger as a traditional term is someone doing the walkabouts. I went to the zoo. Here's my day at the lug nuts game. Hey, check out the shampoo I bought, etc. So you use that terminology. Again, I think there's a negative connotation applied, but I will grant that at least some places say vlogging also includes video streaming on YouTube, Facebook, and the other live video networks. But I think the concept of vlogging isn't really an accurate or terribly useful description of legal analysis in a lawsuit uh, that goes for eight weeks uh, and establishes a bunch of different expertise uh, and, and street cred, frankly, on talking about these things. But if you want to call them vloggers, uh, it's, it's within your purview. But again, we have to note that you're deliberately picking negative connotations for the things that you want to describe of Alita and others uh, in this article. They were relatively minor figures and each had reportedly made money through their avowedly pro-DEP coverage. I don't know about you. I can't speak to you in chat. I can't deign to guess at what you thought about the coverage of this particular story. But I would argue that if you're following Legal Bites, if you're watching Emily D. Baker, if you're otherwise looking to watch the lawsuit, the trial itself, then chances are you're watching it to look at the evidence, to evaluate these things, and to figure out what's going on throughout this process. Maybe you come in with a Johnny Depp uh, bent. I know a number of you did uh, at Legal Bites, but what we were presenting was not avowedly pro-Depp coverage. One of the things people really get confused at uh, is the fact that we finished off at Legal Bites looking at all the evidence in the trial and coming to the conclusion that the weight of the evidence supported Johnny Depp's case. That is not pro-Depp. That is, I don't know, pro-evidence, pro-the judicial process. I will tell you frankly here in this space that I didn't love the individual that was described as Johnny Depp in that case, even when he's presenting it himself. I found him to be sincere. I found his worldview uh, to be the closer to reality than Ms. Hurd's. But as far as, hey, I would hang out with this person. Hey, I think that's a great way to live your life. Hey, I think this is all good. No, I didn't think that. I am not a Johnny Depp fan. I like some of the content he creates, as long as we're talking about content creators. Uh, but I am not someone that looks at that and says, yep, Johnny Depp is somebody who's a role model or an innocent or otherwise. Others can disagree. That's totally fine. But I weighed the evidence. I looked at what was presented and found his story to be more credible. And if you're trying paragraph after paragraph this hard to discount what these streamers are doing, frankly, I think the red flags properly fall on you, Mr. Author, rather than on who you're trying to disparage. These people are affiliated with the right wing. These people are avowedly pro-depth. These people are just vloggers to be ignored, minor figures in an otherwise worthwhile story. Keep going. Keep going, because I think you're digging a hole that's going to be very difficult to get out from. But we'll have to see as we finish up this conversation. By contrast, Lorenz interviewed and quoted three content creators with much bigger audiences is also itself somewhat of a fallacious argument. Legal Bites, Emily D. Baker, the rest of the folks covering this trial, especially on YouTube, were the top streams on earth throughout this particular trial. And yes, she brought up some Instagrammers and she brought up some memers. And that's what actually makes Alita's presence in the article so unusual. She's the only lawyer doing the legal analysis 
doing the panels that actually talk through the court case itself that is mentioned in that article rather than the folks that changed from handsome man videos to covering Johnny Depp, et cetera, et cetera. So that makes it unusual, but that doesn't make this analysis correct. She was one of the biggest content creators on earth during that trial, not based on the number of subscribers that were already subscribed to her channel, but because of the traction she was getting actually covering things. And if you followed this at all, you would know that you would know that the legal streams were the most popular things covering this stuff. And while memes were also popular and getting the 30 second chunks of, of views and whatnot, those streams were really at the top end. But if you want to discount legal bites, that's totally fine. You've been doing it for a number of paragraphs. Let's continue watching you do it. Moreover, and importantly, Lorenz was not claiming to be doing original reporting on either of the two. This is important that she didn't do any extra research on any of the things she put out in the Washington Post. Important why? She sourced lawyer influencer, influencer, get your Amazon links from Alita today, Alita Majeka's earnings to an article in Business Insider, an article that was at that point five or six weeks out of date, which the Post linked to, and in which Majeka, the host of Legal Bites, was quoted at length. In reference to the other, a mostly anonymous YouTuber who calls himself That Umbrella Guy, she cited earnings estimates from the analytics website Social Blade. He has also stated flat out, I don't talk to the media. Well, if he doesn't talk to the media, it's definitely okay to put in your article that you reached out and he didn't and he didn't comment because you know that's what it would have happened anyway, right? Does that make sense? No? Would it have been maximally thorough to drop each a note and offer the chance to comment, even if they were almost certain to ignore her message and bitch about the story anyway? I'm glad you can assume and read minds, Mr. Author. Yes. Was it stupid to put a sentence in the piece claiming falsely that they had been given that chance? Obviously. All right. We're in violent agreement that the criticisms of this are okay. Fantastic. The Daily Beast, uh, Lachlan Cartwright, reports that the line was inserted by editor David Mellitz as a result of a miscommunication between himself and Lorenz. Maybe. All rumors and innuendo there. But this miscommunication would be interesting to follow up on, as long as you're doing good journalism, folks. Did stealth editing that line turn out to be not only a shady, but a dumb thing to do? With a story being watched closely by extremely online people motivated to catch out the Washington Post, the newspaper in which Amber Heard published her jury declared defamatory op-ed in the first place. Ding, ding, you get an A-plus ethics in, of internet journalism. Fantastic. You're a little condescending there, but great. I also like jury declared defamatory op-ed. It's, it's the equivalent of alleged, right? I'm not going to admit that it's defamatory despite a court of law and an entire legal process and two months of people's time determining that it was defamatory. I'm just going to say, well, seven people in Virginia decided on that. It's an interesting tack to take in this particular article. But you can see in these two paragraphs now, it's at well. She just went to Business Insider. She just got that information from them. So what's the big deal? An umbrella guy doesn't answer messages anyway. And yes, they raise good points. And yes, you probably shouldn't stealth edit. Uh, and all of that's very bad. But you're right. You can see the big but in highlights. There's a neon sign here that says but right here. But these people are dumb and you shouldn't listen to them. It's hilarious to think that those influencers not to mention the edgelords who swarm in their defense are hashing out journalistic best practices in some sort of vast online Pointner Institute seminar. Okay, so are they right? Yes, I will concede that they are right. Is the Washington Post being really stupid? Absolutely, but these people are worse is the argument. These creators are charitably the new generation of entertainment tabloids heirs to the tradition of the National Enquirer and the weekly world news. 
The WWW editor told the Philadelphia Inquirer two decades ago, we don't sit around and make stories up, but if we get a story about a guy who thinks he is a vampire, we will take him at his word. Legal Bites, Alita, Hogue are not to be listened to because these creators, quote unquote, are we not creating? Are we not creating right now, people? What in the hell are the scare quotes for? Talk to me. Is this not an act of creation any more than writing a Substack article to rant about these creators is? is are we getting too mimetic? Are we in the inception point of what in the world it means to actually put something out there in the world? These scare quote creators are the weekly world news. The weekly world news. They're bat boy. Virtual legality, according to the racket, is bat child found in cave. Elvis returns, speaks with aliens, and delivers a message from God. They are the heirs apparent to bullshit. And that's what this guy is going out there with. He just admits for paragraph after paragraph that the critique is correct fundamentally, that the Washington Post was stupid, made a mistake, made a big mistake. They lied to their readers and then self-edited it out. And he can't even discount that, even though he tries his hardest, spinning plates as fast as he can to get to this point in time where he's going to call us Bat Boy, right? Fantastic stuff. Well argued. A great story. Well told. How in the world do we get from there to here? Well, it's important to discount all of this because if we're right, if Alita's right, if all of these comments are right, we'd actually have to do some self-reflection as to what it means to have journalistic ethical standards, right? How ridiculous is it that ordinary people are trying to hold journalists to standards? Of course, those journalistic standards are built for the people. They're built for the readers because journalists have that access to knowledge, have the obligation to deliver things rightly. They are for the benefit of you and me. And noting when they are not kept is to the benefit of you and me. It is not some kind of journalistic tower that gets to decide what, if any, things should apply to them vis-a-vis -vis ethics or rules or guidelines. And to call them out doesn't make the people that call them out bat boy, right? As much as I really love this headline, that's not what we are doing here. That's not what reasonable minds can differ means. That's not what a 35-minute description of what the Paramount and Top Gun Maverick lawsuit does, right? We're trying to put more and better information out there. And this gentleman who runs this substack, who's in the business of making money for himself, goes out there and says, these creators referenced in the Washington Post are the bat boys of the world. Now, he does actually put out some argument. Let's see what it is and why it falls apart. Majeka's trial coverage included at least one pseudoscientific body language expert. So this is Argument one, I'm going to call these people Bat Boy, and I'm going to do it because they talk to Spidey. Now, let's get disclaimers out of the way, right? I've talked to Spidey. I think you've probably seen me on stream with Spidey. I don't find that analysis scientific. I don't find it uh, terribly uh, effective, but I do find it interesting. Uh, and he's an entertainer, first and foremost. Now, you might say, well, that takes away, and that makes his point for him. 
but I don't think that it does. I think you can be informed by various things that aren't necessarily 100% bulletproof the answer to the question that you have otherwise raised. And I'm not the only one that thinks this, right? If we look at various other outlets that aren't Batboy, I don't think, you can see that this was coverage that happened throughout the trial. Why Johnny Depp's flirt vibe with lawyer is deliberate, body language expert. Now, New York Post. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Rick, maybe this author thinks the New York Post is right-wing media, almost undoubtedly. Maybe this author thinks the New York Post is a tabloid of the Batboy variety as well. Maybe he does. But maybe if you don't like the New York Post for this, maybe CNN will hit you where you live, right? Here's CNN with an analyzing body language in Depp v. Heard with a body language expert, right? So talking about this, okay, Alita had on Spidey. I'm going to grant you that it's not a terribly scientific process. But one, you, you, you do have a lot of hours. Two, I do think he's entertaining. I do think he has insight. And while I don't find that to be you know, scientific evidence like gravity or something along those lines, I still think it's interesting to talk to people from different perspectives about how they're looking at the question at hand, right? So I don't think it's a legal approach, but it is an insightful one. It is interesting. And even when you disagree with someone on a panel, which I did a lot, as I think a lot of you know, it can still be informative to your understanding of what it is that you're looking at. So including that you are bat boy, because you had a body language expert similar to CNN, similar to the New York Post, similar to many other places online and otherwise, is absolutely patently absurd. So what's his other argument point here to put us in the bat boy category? In another episode, she and a friend, who is that friend, spent hours, a couple hours, likening Heard's testimony to the plot of Gone Girl, a 2014 Ben Affleck film about a woman who frames men for rape and murder in a calculated plot for revenge, while viewers paid to get their questions and comments featured in the chat, like every other live stream on YouTube, at least for monetized channels. But let's back that up a step, right? This is quite, quite the argument. Well, these folks talked about this legal case in connection with a movie, and who would deign to do such a thing? Now, Obviously, if you've seen that stream or otherwise, you know that that friend is me. I did the Gone Girl stream with Alita. Also worthwhile to note that I am, in fact, a lawyer. And also worthwhile to note, Mr. Author, in case you're interested, Alita and I have a lot of big plans for all of this going forward. So keep your eyes out. And I'm not allowed to say anything yet. But chat, if you like that Gone Girl stream, keep, keep an eye on this space. Otherwise, when we're talking about this, we say, well, we have, we've coarsened everything, right? We talked about legal questions through pop culture. Who would do that? Certainly not every lawyer on the internet. Certainly not the 2 million subscriber legal eagle. Certainly not virtual legality, whose main premise is that we can talk about important things, whether it's contract business here, in, in this case, trial or otherwise, we can talk about those important things through the lens of stuff that people are already interested in and excited by, right? I do a video talking about the lawsuit about Top Gun Maverick because it's popular, because it's an amazing movie. It's the first 10 out of 10 I gave it on Twitter. So check that out. But because people are otherwise interested in the story. So you take Gone Girl and you say, let's talk about how the legal process works. Let's talk about how evidence enters in, how cops are going to evaluate it, how lawyers are going to evaluate. Let's look at this TV lawyer that actually treats this case. And yes, we talked about certain similarities in the approach taken by Amber Heard in the storytelling that she was engaged in and that a jury found to be storytelling in a court of law. We talked about some of that, but mostly it was talking about a piece of pop culture and how you can look at it 
while you're otherwise interested in this thing that you're clearly interested in. And isn't that an effective way to teach people? Isn't that an effective way to get more and better information out there? A lot of you have probably heard me end virtual legality videos by saying, hey, we're going to talk about business and law through the lens of pop culture, technology, software, video games, and otherwise, or some variation thereof. And I say that because that is the fun way to do it. That is the spoonful of sugar that lets you understand how these contracts work, what an identification provision is, to talk about the Copyright Act and how termination works. Hey, I'm pretty interested if Top Gun Maverick would be pulled from screens if these guys get their way and ask for a preliminary injunction, which I don't think they'll get, by the way. But that that's interesting to me because I haven't yet gotten out to see it with my family and I want to get it, I get to see it before all the dinosaurs eat all the screens that it's on. That that's interesting because it impacts your life and that's a good way to do things. And you know who agrees with me? This author. So let's talk about the racket a little bit. Right now, some people brought up online that the racket sounds like racketeering, sounds like an illicit uh, confidence game in and of itself. And you're not wrong, but let's give full benefit of the doubt to the, this particular uh, site. It's named after someone else calling capitalism a racket. The racket takes its name from the speeches of Smedley Butler, a legendary Marine turned anti-war activist in the years before World War II. After decades of advancing the causes of U.S. capitalism empire in his own career at the expense of peoples all over the world, Butler became a fierce critic of all three. In those later years, Butler turned his maverick streak, ironic, against the powerful, taking the side of the working class against fascism. And he wasn't afraid to challenge the institutions he had dedicated his life to, declaring that as a Marine, he had been no more than hired muscle for corporations and the banks, a quote-unquote racketeer for capitalism. Written by award-winning author and journalist Jonathan M. Katz, the racket carries on Butler's legacy, his fearlessness, his eagerness to challenge the powerful, and his willingness to be critical of himself. Building on a career he has spent exposing wrongdoing and corruption at the highest levels and taking down my friends on YouTube, each issue will help you better understand the web of connections that link seemingly disparate parts of our world in international affairs, disaster, U.S. politics, social issues, and of course, influencer, vlogger, tabloid grifters on social media. Now, that's just the summary of what the racket is, but this author wrote a book called Gangsters of Capitalism, Smedley Butler, the Marines, the Making and Breaking of America's Empire. You can get it for only $30 right now. Uh, and it was released this year. Now it's talking about this individual in the Marines, Smedley Butler, and various things that we've already talked about in this summary. But importantly, when you write a book, you have to hawk that book. You have to go out and get people to buy that book. You have to let people know that that book exists. And how do you do it if you are this particular author? Well, you talk about it in the framework of movies. Gangsters movie night, Harold and Kumar escape from Guantanamo Bay. And you'll see in this summary, and, and we're not going to go over too much, but what does a gross out buddy stoner comedy have to say about American empire? How long can two investigative journalists talk about what was originally slated to be a direct DVD sequel to a movie about a trip to White Castle? Let's dive in or not. You be the judge. And this isn't the only time that he does this while hawking his book this year. He has a number of gangsters movie nights to talk about movies and the impact that they have or that we can look at to talk about what he wants to talk about in his serious book. I'm not taking a damn thing away from this individual. Absolutely. Sell your wares. I hope you're very proud of your book. I hope it's great. I haven't read it. But let's not pretend that talking about pop culture and analyzing serious issues while doing so makes you freaking bat boy. Okay? I know you have a point to make, but at least look at the mirror and understand that your point falls apart at the slightest examination. So come on, man. We can do better. You can do better. I believe in you. This is a well-written piece. I have no doubt that that book has wonderful prose in it and good research. I think it's going to be 
Very interesting. Maybe I'll even buy a copy. But don't do this. Don't suggest that these creators are the weekly world news because they had a body language expert very similar to most other outlets on the planet Earth and that we talked about concepts related to a trial through the lens and framework of movies people might know. Come on now. That umbrella guy's entire pseudonym persona flouts the SPJ code of ethics. Identify sources clearly. The public is entitled to as much information as possible to judge the reliability and motivation of sources. Like many on the online right, he regularly accuses anyone who uses an online personality's real name of doxing, even when said personality uses their real name constantly in their public work. He is also a veteran of hashtag Comicsgate, the Gamergate sequel that BuzzFeed described as an online harassment campaign in which trolls use racist, sexist, and sometimes threatening language to intimidate essentially anyone they believe is advocating for diversity in the comics industry. Facts that Lorenz, for what it's worth, did not include in her piece, all of which takes some of the bite out of his claim that he was unjustly attacked. So I don't know that umbrella guy. Uh, I don't, I'm not attracted to the content on this individual's channel. That's totally fine. Uh, but this is a very similar kind of attack style to what we just saw vis-a-vis -vis Alita, right? This doesn't even go so far as to actually point out problems with what that umbrella guy has actually created. Instead, it's all guilt by implication, right? So first of all, you're anonymous online. Not usually the biggest sin in the world on any of these things, but he calls it to task is a violation of ethics, which is interesting in and of itself because of how many articles that we've read in virtual legality and headlines that start out with something like, sources close to X said, or anonymous sources told us for fear of their jobs, etc. And we always say, all right, we'll take that with a grain of salt, but it shouldn't necessarily take away from those ability, the ability of those people to speak. Anyway, they also then just tar him with the notion that he's affiliated with Comicsgate, which is related to Gamergate, uh, according to this author, and that Gamergate is described by BuzzFeed as an online harassment campaign against all these things. He doesn't commit, he's not willing to commit as an author here to even that notion of what Gamergate is. Uh, and I'm not willing to grant that notion either as I've talked about at length in this space. I wasn't around for Gamergate. People keep asking me about it. I am very interested in journalists and the way they write stories and the way they make argument. I am not so interested in being put in any given label with how that discussion is otherwise had. It appears to be at least in part a harassment campaign, at least what folks have told me, and also in part, a discussion of journalistic ethics, as other folks have told me. I'm not the right person to ask, but this author isn't the right person to ask either because they just go with a BuzzFeed definition of what it is and then says those are facts that Lorenz did not include, perhaps to her benefit since she would have had to use, at least in this locution, a definition from BuzzFeed in order to make her case. But the author assures us that all of that takes out some of the bite of his claim that he feels attacked. So someone who otherwise can act anonymously and otherwise be affiliated with something that you can't quite affiliate him with, that is a sequel to something else that you can't quite define, loses their ability to either be attacked or to defend themselves from that attack according to your particular argument. I don't think I need to add that I find that terribly wanting. Initially, the vloggers, there's that term again, were somewhat muted in their criticism of the requests for comment line. Tug in particular seemed to be testing out a few other possible angles of attack. But after the Fox News piece got a reaction from the other side, first CNN media reporter Oliver Darcy tweeted about it. Then the Post posted a short correction. I thought the Post posted the short correction after Fox News contacted them. What are we doing here, author? The vloggers and their allies realized the potency of their charge. All right, so let's talk about timing a little bit here. 
right? So for one, the charge is not just Taylor Lorenz, right? I say here, I don't know you. I have nothing against you. I've invited you to talk on my show. But in my own thread, this is all about lying, right? This is all about misframing who you contacted, the stealth edit, revising, revising, revising again, and then complaining out to the internet and then saying that's all bad faith, much as this article suggests that it is. But more broadly, in terms of timing, we've got the fact that, well, I went out with this much earlier than anybody else responding, right? You're accusing Legal Bites and myself, at least slightly, when I'm the friend that's also a lawyer that talks with her about Gone Girl and otherwise copies things like screenshots. Uh, as you know, since we caught the stealth edit in basically real time during this particular stream, you can see the date right here of June 3rd, 2022, and of course the 7 a.m. time frame that we talked about it in, that we didn't pounce we didn't otherwise jump on a change, right? We didn't otherwise say, oh, Fox News and CNN and everyone else have picked it up. Alita goes out and says, that's not right. I look at the story and say, that's interesting to talk about in headlines. I'm going to have a component that talks about that's not right from Alita on her Twitter. And then when I get to the section, it's self-edited, which becomes its own story. And I have Alita on the show. That's not reacting to anything but the content of the article itself. And you know this, this is on tape. I'm literally talking about this the day it happens with one of the subjects of the story. I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but if you're interested in how we felt about it or what we thought about it as it happened, it's on YouTube. It's literally available to you. And this is going to come up again as we get to the end of the article where the author allows his flights of fancy and speculative fiction to really roam free and just talk about what we were all thinking when this happened, because obviously... He knows. But first, a little bit more impugning of good faith. Now, this isn't a novel tactic either. Any competent PR flack's first move is to comb a critical er article for errors, no matter how insignificant, in hopes of forcing a correction that will cast even the slightest doubt in readers' minds about the publication's accuracy and integrity. As it turns out, digging out irrelevant minutia and blowing up molehills into mountain ranges is a skill both lawyers and true crime fans are particularly adept at. It's what drove much of the public obsession with the Depp Heard trial. Why was a photo of spilled wine entered into evidence twice with two different dates? How big exactly was the poop for so long? Yes, indeed it is. Indeed, we do look at things pretty closely as lawyers. It, it turns out dotting I's and crossing T's is pretty fundamental to the practice of law and not lying about what actually happened and projecting it out into the world. Also pretty useful to the practice of law. Spurred on by the reaction from the post, the rhetoric ratcheted up. Pointer-esque jargon spread among the anime avatars. Everyone talking about this as an anime avatar online. Now Lorenz was a fabulist. She had committed serious malpractice. She should be fired or suspended immediately. And if you follow these links, these are tweets from randoms. Not exactly the best level of argumentation, but I guess these folks did in fact tweet these things. Panicked, the post's masthead expanded the correction into a full editor's note bolted to the top of the article. It's a device that heuristically signals to readers that there were severe compromising flaws of the kind that could invalidate an entire piece instead of what it was, a piece of erroneous boilerplate that was easily and immediately fixed. Isn't fixed now. And in fact, you'll admit that in the next paragraph, but I'm spoiling. The editor's note was predictably like pouring water on a grease fire and as if calibrated for maximum shittiness, it contained a new erroneous implication that Majeka had been directly messaged via Instagram before the story was first posted, which according to this Lorenz tweet, and Majeka herself does not seem to have been the case. Now, 
look at this little sleight of hand. We're dodging, we're weaving, we're playing a little razzle-dazzle with them here in this particular article. Well, the internet jumped on. They pounced on this particular story. There were tweets. They were mean. And then, well, as if to calibrate for maximum shittiness, the Washington Post still got it wrong, right? A piece of erroneous boilerplate that was easily and immediately fixed. It was neither easily nor immediately fixed, and it remains unfixed, which you admit in the next paragraph. What are we doing? The issue isn't some kind of molehill mountain paradigm. It's that the Washington Post, one of the leading publications in the country, cannot seem to admit error and or correct it in any kind of fashion that a normal human being would expect in an article that questions the ethics of creators, right? We're going to get to what he thinks is wrong, why vloggers and influencers like Alita were so upset. But I will tell you this right now, as it happened in the moment, what got us upset is that the notion of this article is that they have more ethics, they have bigger standards, they have bigger fish to fry, and that that's why they weren't on this, right? As traditional news outlets prioritize stories such as the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion on abortion, which we talked about here, the war in Ukraine, which we're not qualified to talk about here, and mass shootings, it left an opening for online coverage to set the tone with depth be heard. They took over because there's a seriousness that legacy media follows when they cover these things. But while people who consume their news from content creators often believe it more trustworthy, creators aren't beholden to editorial standards or journalistic norms. And as more people turn to online creators for information, misinformation flourishes. That is the heart, that is the meat of this particular article. And to frame it as anything else, to frame it as something benign and not intended to essentially drag creators is to read this and not read it at all, or more worryingly, to lie about what it says. And that's what this particular article in The Racket, which is becoming an increasingly apt title for this kind of verbiage, actually does. Fox News, The New York Post, The National Review, and The Washington Examiner all rushed out pieces about the quote-unquote scandal. Democracy dies at the hands of Taylor Lorenz, the Federalist declared. Meanwhile, the troll armies upped their demands. More corrections. Lorenz rounded up the highest estimate of Tug's estimated earnings from 79100 to 80000 She said that Tug's entire channel is dedicated to pro-dep content, when in fact, he has occasionally posted non-dep trial-related videos over the last year. She purposefully omitted that Majeka is also a lawyer. That charge was made by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' spokeswoman, a dedicated troll, and longtime Lorenz opponent who can never resist a good culture flame war. Look at this sidestep. Alita is a lawyer. Legal Bites is a legal channel. You just told us that Taylor Lorenz only sourced this from a Business Insider article that was titled YouTube channel Legal Bites. That was deliberately stripped from any kind of contents of what Alita actually presents in order to tell your story about how all these people are weirdos and crazies and have misinformation flourish. And for the record, even though you've tried to tar this particular argument with a Ron DeSantis affiliation, much like the rest of your article, my God, Fox News picked this up. Ron DeSantis picked it up. It's actually me, I think, that says very early on that she should be mentioned as a lawyer in the context of the article. I think Alita did as well on Twitter. So you're tarring with brushes and I get it. I understand what you're doing, but it's not good argument and it's not effective and it's not convincing and it's obvious as all hell by the time we get to here. Now, again, this author wants to note the theme of the article that is inspiring all this. The Washington Post told its audience of tens of millions of digital readers that the Depp trial 
offered a potential glimpse into the future of media, one in which content creators would compete more directly with traditional news organizations on coverage. The offending paragraph, the one that has resulted once again in a whole segment of the internet braying for Lorenz's head, which I've never done, was about how successful the content creators have been. Even taking Tug and his allies at their word, that is what it would have been more thorough to include the full range of his estimated earnings, then the crime here is making him look possibly more successful than he really is. Instead, as of today, Social Blade now estimates the creator has brought in as much as 89000 in the last month. It seems likely that the increase is a result of the publicity boom generated by Lorenz's piece. Do you think at all that if that umbrella guy has gotten more revenue in the last month, it might, it might have something to do with the last few weeks of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial and actually referencing that specific YouTube channel in testimony to millions and millions of viewers. No, it must be the Taylor Lorenz Washington Post piece that drove money into his coffers. Are you freaking kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? On top of that, this is a completely erroneous description of what that article is. That article is mentioning the money that they make in order to establish a premise that YouTube and its algorithms are encouraging people to get misinformation. And it's a premise that if you don't believe from the text of the article itself, which I think is patently evident, you can see from Taylor Lorenz's social media presence and Twitter as it stands, that she goes out there and says that the new media is threatening the old media, the legacy media, and that the legacy media needs to get on this because all of these negative incentives are allowing these people to make money right? The notion is you should be wary because these people are filled with the dirty Scrooge McDuck profit incentive, unlike the benign, benevolent, and of course, nonprofit Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos or the racket. Please subscribe to my Substack. That is the notion of the article. I read you paragraphs from the article itself. It is not hard to see unless you're willfully blind to what it is saying. Now, one might accuse the creators of ginning up this scandal for more clicks and subscriptions. One might. What kind of locution is that? I would never deign to. I would never accuse creators of doing such a nefarious thing, but one might. Okay, all right. That could be part of it, but I suspect, and this is just my unsourced supposition, I didn't talk to either of them, that it's more than that. It isn't enough to have national media writing about their YouTube channels and holding them up as an example of the future of media. What seems to have offended the vloggers the most, right from the beginning, was not the false no-comment boilerplate, but Lorenz's insinuation that at the heart, they were doing it all for money. Wait, I thought that wasn't what this was about. I thought the money was a good reference. Oh, all right. That they did not believe deep down in Depp's innocence and Heard's guilt. It was the Post's refusal to herald them, not just as competition, but its peers, if not its betters. In the end, whether it's estranged ex-spouses or media rivals, we all just want to be loved. Well, that's a hell of a lot of projection, sir, individual that's selling their book and on Substack working as an independent freelance author, but it's also complete bullshit. I told you, you can go look at what we were talking about the day of the thing. You can go look at the analysis of the article and why I find it so wanting. The notion that the legacy media has some kind of ethical bounds that we don't have, especially as lawyers who have entire rules of professional conduct that bar certain activities and give us guidance as to what we're allowed to say, including preventing us from just making random expository dialogues that otherwise aren't true, like the Washington Post is otherwise doing. To imply that we want to be in that particular group is also interesting in and of itself because it doesn't appear in this video as it happens. It doesn't appear in the tweets from Alita or myself. 
And the Washington Post really isn't who we want in our peer group anyway, right? The Washington Post is having a bit of a tough time because honestly, it looks like they lack ethics. They don't abide by their own social media policies or otherwise, and frankly, are acting like teenagers at a high school newspaper, if that. And so at the end of all things here, this is just a bad article, poorly argued, and coming from a place that I think is acting very defensively about a legacy media that doesn't really need such defense. So I'll take the win. I'm happy to take it, but I won't take anything else that comes with it. That's our headline for today. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for hanging in there as uh, we got a little bit long-winded on that. But honestly, this one bothered me, folks. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's apparent on its face uh, that it takes vast liberties with logic, rhetoric, argument, all in the defense of a, a legacy media that is showing day by day that it isn't deserving of that defense. And honestly, that people will go find good information if it's made available to them. And like I said, I I'm not a subscriber to that umbrella guy. There are parts of the internet that obviously have problems uh, with all of this stuff. There are parts of journalism that have all this stuff, right? Bat Boy is still a part of journalism. That's still a part of your legacy media. But to equate us with that, well, I think you're pretty far afield. And I think that's self-evident as people look at these things uh, from afar. So that's our headline. We're going to do some chats. We're going to do some super chats. Let me know what you think about that. Let me know what you think about that particular description of events, how we talked about it. Leave comments to the video, engage, you know, do all that YouTube-y stuff as Alita might otherwise say, because I need to be out here keeping the lights on and supporting the family with this kind of content, right? Don't we all? Hmm. In any event, let's talk with some super chats. Kareen, the umbrella guy is a mental health professional who had real sources and has been reporting on this case longer than any of the law tubers. In addition, he has other evidence proving JD's innocence respectful. Yeah, I believe he was one of Adam Waldman's like linked sources on the internet, as best I can tell. I it's not my channel. I, I don't I don't go there. I don't mind anybody that does. Uh, and I, as I pointed out in the paragraphs that cover him in this article, the author makes the same mistakes as he does with Alita, who I am much more familiar with. It's just not my kind of YouTube channel, but that's totally fine. Thank you so much for the support. Sherikoff2814, even the YouTube algorithm is in on it. Since I have watched the trial on Legal Bites and the associated other law tubers, I have been getting fed some truly misogynistic content. That and dark true crime. Very sad face. Yeah, I, this is the kernel of truth, right? When Taylor Lorenz writes about the algorithm, writes about YouTube doing various things uh, with recommendations and what it wants everybody to see coming off of uh, their viewing of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial. Yeah, that's a part of the story because those algorithms are robots and they do a lot of bad things. Uh, and I think that that's a good kernel of truth. That's a good part of the story, but it doesn't make the people making content that isn't misogynistic, that doesn't have those features somehow responsible for the idiots at YouTube that otherwise link you to really bad things. So I hear you and I am sorry that you've had that experience. Uh, but I can't abide by tarring good content with a bad brush because of what third parties have done with it. DJ Tommy V, virtual legality plan the song Virtual Insanity? It is not. It is merely a, a rhyming reference to virtual reality uh, or VR in the video game space. Uh, and I liked legality to tie into that. So that is, that is what the reference is too. If you can't tell from many of my titles to my videos, I really enjoy a good pun. Or bad pun, depending on your perspective. Uh, Andre Rola, angry hoag, love it. Let's go. Gaming uh, gaming controller and your hammered sickle. Yes, uh, I, have a little, I like to call it feisty. I'm not angry. Mostly I'm disappointed, right? 
Vincent, as long as people swarm those articles with click to rage on it, this is never going to stop and they will hit harder and harder. Well, as far as his article's thesis goes, then we are going to have stuff to cover in this space. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't mind you hitting at us. Just don't be surprised when you when I hit back. Right. I mean, like this is an absolutely terribly argued article with very, very poor referencing, very poor argument. Uh, and I would hope that the book that he's selling is otherwise much better researched and otherwise planned out. Eric Hunley, Spidey does not claim to be scientific ever. Yeah, I know that. He's very clear about limitations every time. Yeah, Spidey always says that. Um, and and I, I have no problem with Spidey. Like I said, I find him to be an entertainer more than anything else. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Alita had a lot of people on her channel. She also had psychologists and psychiatrists and nurses uh, on her channel talking about these various things. So it seems interesting to just pluck out Spidey and attack him. But yeah, body language experts, whatever you want to frame them as, we're on basically everywhere. You could just search body language uh, and Johnny Depp and see all the outlets that otherwise covered it. I just pulled a few. Britt Cormier, I am so glad I found this place. Since this is the modern day National Enquirer, I have a great story. I was abducted by aliens. Oh, I'm so sorry, Britt. And gave birth to an alien human hybrid brood as a man. Please contact me for the full story. Britt, that sounds like a good story. That sounds like a headline. You know, DM me. We'll get this up and running. We'll do that. We'll do it against a Batboy story because Batboy is always and everywhere with us. Uh, but we'll do some aliens. We'll do some Batboy stuff. Uh, and we'll get we'll get this stuff printed out. Uh, Asai Sukahara, really enjoy you doing celebrity trials. Keep it up. Sparkly heart emoji and sparkles emoji. If I do trials, it's going to be over on Legal Bites. Like there, there won't be trials here for the most part unless there's like a really big business trial of some kind. Uh, but I, I'll definitely keep doing it over there. Uh, you know, love working with her and her channel. Uh, and like I said, in the middle of this, we got some stuff cooking. Uh, Zingaseal CMST, you're more exasperated than usual from this story. Makes sense, though, with you witnessing the gaslighting in real time and your closeness to LB. Hope you have a good day. Your audience knows your and LB's fairness and quality. Yeah, sometimes I like to get a little feisty. Sometimes I get a little, I get a little animated. This one, you know, hits close to home. Totally fair. That's why I put the bias warning out front. Right? Look, I'm biased on this. Uh, you know I'm biased on this. So I'm still going to do my same analytical reading, but absolutely discount it as you would for anybody else that's biased or otherwise engaged with the story in that fashion. Uh, and you can evaluate it as you will. Uh, but hopefully I was uh, at least a bit informative as to what I'm thinking when I read these things. And there's dad. Hey, dad. Good morning. Love your energy and directness. One more dollar for the cursing jar, but worth it. A new piece of crap from legacy media. I don't think that the racket on Substack is legacy media necessarily, although you do look... That editor is from The Guardian. I'm sure that that's not a surprise to you. And that this person in, worked in the International Associated Press. Uh, so uh, was officially a, a, a journalist. Um, and I don't, I, don't think that, I don't think I have to add to the cursing jar for when I read out uh, the curse words. We're going to have to look at that uh, uh, behind the scenes. Uh, but thank you so much, Dad. Good morning to you as well. Um, and I think, oh, we've got, uh, we've got a few more here. Uh, Michelle Maynard. Just another op-ed like the others. No actual research. Uh, not really. Well, there was enough research to go and look at what like Legal Bites' channel does. Uh, that wasn't in uh, Taylor Lorenz's Washington Post article. So they found Spidey uh, at some point in there, or they found it through the Twitter uh, feed of, of Alita. Miss K, sending my first super chat out of sheer disgust at the hypocrisy on display from these legacy media hacks. Love to all of LawTube from Canada. Blue heart, purple heart, red heart. Thank you, Miss K. I appreciate it. Again, I don't think it's going to be a constant uh, here in headlines to just talk about articles attacking coverage of things. 
Uh, but if they continue down this vein, then yes, you're going to get reposts and counter arguments from me here because uh, I feel it's important to do. And I feel very important about actually getting more expertise information out there. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm always going to defend it, even if there are bad actors. You know, let's talk about them and not tar everybody with the same brush. Uh, Madama Rose, super sticker. Thank you so much. Very generous. Fika Sridhar, did you see Howell's Insta post-trial? I don't think so. I don't, I'm not on Instagram right now. Maybe I need to be, uh, but I'm not on Instagram right this second. So I didn't see her posting anything after the trial. I'm just going to post the sympathetic Slytherin who says I have every right to feel indignant. I appreciate that, Slytherin. Thank you so much. Don't forget to hit like, says Annalie Finch. I appreciate the help, Annalie. Don't forget to hit that like button. If you want to call it grifting, you're welcome to do so. I think we're putting out good content here that's deserving of you hitting a digital button below the video, but that's up to you. The Moofitable, it's like this guy saw the Washington Post, Taylor Lorenz drama, and said, hold my beer. I honestly think that there is a gut or knee-jerk reaction to some folks that says, ah, these people, they're being covered by Fox News or they're being covered by National Review or what have you. So they must be wrong. She must be right. And I'm going to frame the whole story around that. Even while I spend paragraphs saying, sure, they got it wrong. Sure, they stealth edited. Sure, they got the correction wrong. But these people all suck. And that's just not a very good way to argue. Thank you so much for the support. Van Sexel, honestly, I believe the, the inability for writers like this and many in legacy media to attack arguments convincingly and without ad hominem attacks is why people are looking elsewhere. Yeah, well, you put in the headline, you're going to call us grifters. You don't actually expound upon that. You don't actually say fulsomely that we are out there giving products that aren't meeting the expectations of those that are otherwise subscribing or liking or paying for them. And a lot of this is ad supported. Um, and, and not super chats as much as I appreciate them. So I don't know what the purpose of that is. I don't know why they can't make better arguments. Honestly, I think there are better ways to attack what we do. If you really, really thought about it, I'm not about to like offer those, uh, into evidence as you will. Uh, but I think there are probably better and more specific ways to discuss what it is that we do and maybe find holes in, in how that approach is achieved. I think people in my comments have, have brought many of them up, frankly, but they don't appear to be able to do that for reasons that are beyond my ken. Greg Boone sending this just to annoy Mr. Katz. Thank you. Everybody's welcome to send any messages they like to annoy Mr. Katz. Hogue. Facing the crowd. Imagine calling a bunch of lawyers analyzing a case grifters. WAPO needs to go think about what it wants to look like because this is a very bad look. This isn't the Washington Post. It should be pointed out. This is a substack from one dude called The Racket that was picked up by like NBC News and others and, and that went out on Twitter and went a little bit viral uh, as folks recommending to watch it. Uh, so, you know, hey, it's not The Washington Post. They have enough trouble. They don't need they don't need us to pile on with them with things that they didn't actually do. Game Master Craig, MSM is like radio was to TV, falling behind. Maybe so. Maybe so. And here's the Law Patrol saying, all right, I got to go do my own grift. See you soon, Hoglaw. Good luck to you, Law Patrol. We don't need to call it a grift. You're providing services, you're providing content, and people are fully able to decide whether they want to pay for that separately, whether they just want to watch, whether they want to subscribe, or whether they want to downvote the whole thing. You know what? This is an open enterprise. I don't put anything behind a paywall to actually experience. 
Uh, and that's important to me because that's what I want. I want to get more better information out there. So you don't have to call it grift in any event. Um, I think that about does it for this morning. I only had the one story prepared, so we'll cut it a little bit short today. Uh, unless anybody else wants to get in uh, some interesting comments. Um, let's see here. Craig says, one of the big weaknesses is to treat all of YouTube uh, as equal using the lowest common denominator. Ah, see, that's such, we've pointed that out in so many articles, but taking whatever the worst actor is in a group that you can at least loosely tie with somebody else and then saying, ah, they are affiliated with those people is like one of the moves. And it's one of the moves that is so, so unfair when you're arguing about the usefulness or the value of something to just say, hey, those people and those people come out the same direction, right? You saw it early on in this article, men's rights activists, right? I wouldn't frame myself as that. But if they otherwise are on the DEP quote unquote side, then anybody that reads the case, looks at the evidence and says, yeah, I think DEP's got the better part of it is now suddenly on the side of men's rights activists. And we can paint them with that and we can send the reader on their way. And that honestly is BS. Uh, and I think I think that's self-evident, but I'll continue to say it in this space so that somebody is, because at bare minimum, we should expect our opinion writers and the folks that are otherwise trying to change the discourse or affect how you see the world, we should hold them to the standard of actually making a decent argument. Vika Sridhar, Howell spoke about what a boss Waldman is. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see it. Um, so I will I will take a look, uh, et cetera. And then uh, let's see here, Hogue, you should teach a class on critical thinking. I don't know about that, um, but I certainly do love talking about it with all of you uh, here online and otherwise engaging in this conversation on a regular basis. So with that said, uh, this has been Hangouts and Headlines for today. Uh, we'll do another headline tomorrow. That'll actually get a placeholder very, very quickly uh, because I know what we're doing tomorrow. We're going to have a guest on. Um, that's going to talk through uh, her particular piece, which has been the subject of some controversy. You'll see that thumbnail go up relatively short order, at least sometime in midday uh, today. And I want to thank everybody for joining me. And I apologize again for skipping out yesterday with a very short term warning in front of that. Bear with me. We're going to figure out what the schedule looks like long term so that we can continue to do all of this stuff on a regular basis and have the fun that we are having. Uh, justice for bat boy says Ian Kinzel. That'll be the last super chat we take. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you on the next episode of virtual legality.